And welcome back to episode 7 of the Isolate Show. A fair bit of stuff has changed since we last spoke. Um, Victorian government has announced some pretty big changes to our restrictions being lifted. Uh, Majority of the people that listen to this show, judging from the stats, are Australian, and the majority of those are Victorian. Uh, But it doesn't really matter if you're getting the context of this from another state. It's nice to know what Victoria's doing. Um, Yeah, we're allowed to, uh, as of um, midnight this evening, possibly when you're listening to this podcast already, it will have started, um, have five guests uh, in our houses, uh, family or friends only, of course, no no rivals um, or acquaintances. Uh, You were also able to have uh, a gathering of 10 people outside, so we could possibly put on some exclusive gigs uh, out in the park, um, which could be interesting. Um, And... I am just waiting for this to get blown. I have um, been very impressed with the way people have generally been good about the uh, restrictions, but my um, faith in uh, in Australians and Melbourneites uh, is somewhat limited in that respect. Uh, I suspect there's going to be quite a few moments of people blowing this one uh, and I think the extra freedoms are probably just going to shift people's mindsets a little bit uh, into a relaxed state. Um, and it's probably that relaxed state that's going to see some spikes come back. So I hope that's not the case and I hope I'm wrong. But uh, humans have a tendency to um, act a little bit like a virus themselves. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, we see a few spikes. Uh that being said, moving on to some more positive um, stuff, I am happy to show you guys this little conversation I had with Joe Syme from uh, who is one half of Big Scary, but also runs uh, Hotel Motel Records. She co-runs Pie Eater Records. Uh, she's super active um, and um, present in the Melbourne music scene. Uh, we had a bit of a yarn about what it's like running a label, what sort of a label she likes to run and, and the, the labels that she idolizes. A lot of those labels I hadn't even heard of. So you'll hear a lot of me going, mm-hmm, okay, hmm, yep. As if I know uh, all of the labels and bands that Joe's referring to, but I probably know 20%. So I thought I'd actually... Um, get a podcast um, accompaniment together. So there's a, there's a Spotify playlist um, which you can go and get, uh, which is on the ISO Late Show uh, Instagram page um, URL. So if you just head to the Instagram ISO Late Show, um, the link to the, po- to the accompanying playlist for this podcast is in that um, website description. And you can listen to all of the artists that Joe and I discuss uh, in kind of chronological order throughout the podcast. So if like me, you are, um, you're blindly nodding and um, 
you're saying yes for the sake of keeping this conversation rolling, you can listen and uh, know exactly the um, bands that Joe's referring to. Next week, I'm planning on chatting to a doctor, my good friend uh, Alistair Richardson, who is uh, indeed a fully-fledged professional medical doc. Um, So whilst... uh, it's been fun speaking to some musical guests. We will kind of depart that for a little while and probably still chat about music um, regardless. Take care of each other over the next little while. Um, when Joe and I start to chat here, uh, I, I'm telling Joe about my nan who was um, being, had been hospitalized uh, just before the chat. So nan's doing okay now and... Um, it's been hard. No one's actually been able to go and see her and she had to um, have uh, Mother's Day alone in uh, a hospital room, uh, which a lot of mothers probably did. So um, Nan's starting to do all right and uh, hoping that uh, she'll be out soon and we'll be able to um, see her at least from the front lawn through the window and have a wave and uh, give her a belated Mother's Day or Grandmother's Day to some degree. So, uh, enjoy this chat with Joe Syme and we'll see you on the other side. How are you going? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Just been like, um, oh, my nan's been really sick actually. So, oh, that's, oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. She went to, um, hospital last night and, um, we, I, I, it hadn't dawned on me, but only one person. No one could go in with her into emergency. Oh. And only one person can go in and visit her now that she's got a room. And they can't swap. As in- you can't switch out. Oh. Yeah. Unregistered. No, oh, that's horrible. Yeah. So that's been an interesting um, kind of turn of events. It's been I've been having a bloody great ISO time and... Um, you know, nothing's been affected really in my life, um, apart from not working, not socialising. But that's the first bit of like, oh shit, some changes are going to affect how we can communicate with them. So yeah. yeah. So she did. Has she stabilised since going in? Yeah, she's looking better, and it's not a COVID-related thing. It's more just like a yeah, she has like some bad back pain going on. That's quite chronic so um and potentially like uh has picked up an infection of something but not corona hopefully she doesn't pick up something at the hospital because that happened to my two of my grandparents like they went into hospital and then got pneumonia at the hospital um which made them very ill so that's annoying Mm. Yeah, and I think she has actually picked up something from the hospital before as well. So I don't know. We'll say, have you been affected by anything to do with uh, all of this at the moment? I mean, um, I do a lot of free work and we're like we're record labels and as a musician. And then um, the only thing that was like low output, high revenue was DJing. And so that's the one thing I can't do. Um, I'm trying to get on JobKeeper and then apart from that, like I have also really liked it, liked it not having any responsibilities to go out and socialise and stuff like that. 
Um, and then my sister, she's pregnant in Singapore and it's just stressful for her because similar to your nan, like when she's in hospital, um, she can't, like her husband can stay during the birth and then that's kind of it. Like if she has to stay longer, he can't come back in. Oh, wow. Um, but that was a bit more dicey. The baby was, you know, it's called breach when it's upside down. Um, yep. but that's come around now. So she was going to maybe need a C-section, but now it's okay. So it shouldn't be like, she wouldn't have had to be in for ages anyway. But yeah, it's just a bit, you know, those things just a bit more scary for the whole situation. Yeah. Was she, is she from Singapore? Like, is she living in Singapore? Yeah, she's living there. So she had to like, she wasn't sure what decision to make, like whether to come home and have the baby here or stay there. Um, and actually at the time, Singapore was probably doing the best in the world at dealing with it. They've had another outbreak. Um, but even here, it's not like she'd have family around her yeah, to exactly. support her. So I think, I think they made the right decision. It's just that it's a bit lonely for her. Yeah. I guess like, even though you can't, um, you wouldn't have your family around you, at least the knowledge that they're not too far away is somewhat more of a comfort. Like totally. It, it would be really hard over there. Yeah. Hmm. And um, yeah, you were just getting, you were just like starting to uh, really hit your straps with the, the DJ stuff as well before all <laughs> <I> this. <know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it was good. Like I had, um, you know, I, I don't like doing it too much because I get a bit, it turns too much into a job, yep. but I was getting like more regular bar work just to sort of top me up and then the occasional wedding or event that's like the real bonus cream. Um, yeah. <laughs> That'll start again, you know, like... Oh, uh, it'll start again harder than it did. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Um, There'll be a backlog of events like that that'll sort of, yeah, all kick off as soon as yeah. these restrictions lift. That's a good reminder. I should really get all my DJing info really up to date uh, for, the, for the weddings. Yeah, you could... Uh, would you do any, like, um, isolated style DJ sets to kind of <laughs> preview your stuff? <gasps> I did just think about that, although I um I don't want to deal with the licensing, oh, and yeah. I don't and I don't want to do it illegally because as a label that's a bit um yeah <laughs> you know like going flying against what we're fighting for yeah so I mean I've seen obviously DJs are doing heaps of live stream sets um and no one you know it flies under the radar it doesn't it's not a huge deal but I think when I'm the one that's like trying to strike well, have, have people strike deals with Facebook to monetize and properly license our copyright, I think it would be a bit rich to yeah. go do that. Yeah, you just start ripping into some Toto Africa and not <laughs> not even touching the uh, not even touching the rights for it. Exactly. <laughs> have you found that you were saying that you don't like doing it too much because it seems like too much of a job? Do you find that with every aspect of uh, your kind of working music life. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I start feeling like that, I'm like, um, I get a bit angry at myself because I'm like, Oh, do you just do things until they're fun and then give up? Like maybe I give up too easily. (laughs) Um, but like, I mean, that is the toughest thing about running a record label is when, um, you kind of face the reality of like, Oh, you're just another person trying to sell something. And I, and I hate seeing in that seeing it in that light oh this Um, but that's like everything like that's like this the this podcast i've been through the same thought process Uh, even in bands as well at some point you're like yeah merch becomes such an important part of keeping the ball rolling financially 
Yeah. It's really hard to be like, um, yeah, it, at some point they, they have to intersect. Yes. And uh, like lots of the smart, successful artists um, either, either, but I feel like they um, genuinely can marry the two. Um, they have a good business sense, but it's because they're so excited about the message that they're putting out into the world. And, you know, it doesn't feel like they're selling something dirty because it's their truth and their art. So I find that a bit harder as a label. I don't know why, but maybe when, you, when you're growing as well and you're still, um, you kind of don't have any of those like big names on your roster where people want to be a part of it. It sort of feels like everything that people help you out with is another favor. So once you have a bit more success and it's just easy and everyone wants to be involved, I'm sure that will feel um, way less of a task. Um, much like a, a film might start at the end and then go backwards, <laughs> what is a record label? Uh, <laughs> a record label is um, they. there's a few different ways. One is just um, it could be just a home, a community of artists that sort of share resources. Uh, one way to look at a record label is to sell the music that your artists are making. Um, another sort of way is you are controlling the copyright of the recording of that artist that you work with. I mean, it's all of them. What, where, do you, where does your idea of a label fall and what kind of a label do you want to be associated with? I actually do get excited about all those ideas. Like I think it, the spawn of the label or the idea of the label was it being I just really wanted to help um, some artists that I was loving and um, I don't know, sometimes I laugh and think, oh, God, I should have just done a community radio program. That would have been easier and just as effective. <laughs> um, but I guess it was just a, you know, also growing up as a fan of labels. Um, I can't even think who I was like enamored with back in the day, probably, probably like Brushfire Records or something. But, um, you know, I'm a fan of the secretly Canadian label group. And I remember like, oh, Domino, who's Domino? They're, all their bands are so cool and 4AD. So I think, yeah. I think coming from that fandom of, and like, having a little bit of ego about who you've curated was, was one of the sparks. But since I've been trying to force myself to learn the business side, um, I actually find the copyright, um, and trying to make the most of this like recorded music, this asset for the artists that they're not really going to think about. Um, so yeah, just the laws and the usage around that. I actually find a little bit interesting. Um, but yeah, cer certainly like, I think for the, a lot of the artists, what they want, they want money and they want someone to make them successful, but also they just want a, someone to care. And I think that's the, probably the largest role in what I'm doing as a label is, is just being an ER and being a supporter of, of the bands. I think maybe as well, like uh, artists want um, a sort of authenticity and a genuine care. Like it's all well and good to have someone that is, you know, giving good um, business advice or giving good advice in terms of like a release strategy, but having someone that's, um, you know, they're emotionally invested in the act as well because they love, they love what that band's doing or that artist is doing. Mm. I think like that, that definitely um, really bolsters an artist. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's 
a huge part of what they they need um and not 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 in like a not in like a a way of needing confirmation or affirmation or love it's just sure you know, yeah a bit of recognition and support and also like it, it builds a bit of trust as well if you know where that artist's coming from and they know where you're coming from and, and that you're on you've got some kind of um similar um view of things yeah it kind of um yeah that probably builds a good relationship yeah. as well i think it helps that i've i'm a musician as well um hopefully you know like that sort of i can understand what they've gone through um because i did it all um myself do you find it do you find do you find being a musician clouds it sometimes yeah, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm a musician, but I, I, I mean, I find the whole thing cloudy. I think personality-wise, that's a trait of mine of uh, being a little bit indecisive because I can often see the pros and cons of each mm. course of action. Um, and I'm, and I think because I'm still at a learning phase, you know, I might watch a webinar and be like, "Oh my god, everyone needs to be on TikTok." Like, we're not on TikTok. We're not, we're not being proactive enough, you know. And then the next day, I'm like. <laughs> I don't think that that's going to make make or break some of the artists that I'm working with. So, um, yeah, I think being an artist is just another way for me to feel <laughs> confused on the on the correct way forward. But um, mostly, mostly it's good to, especially like a lot of um, I think the, the touring thing and ha- knowing what it's like being on the road because I've worked in a few different. Um, I've also worked in like accounts management, music business management at my old job, and. Um, it's really easy to get frustrated at bands who aren't holding onto their receipts properly on tour or something. But I, rem- yeah. I remember what it's like and it's really hard. It doesn't feel like it should be, but it is. So just being able to see that perspective and remember yeah, it helps. It's, yeah, touring is, I think sometimes for people who haven't, who are dealing with bands that are touring but they've never been out themselves, it's like, well, you guys just literally just been on a holiday. It must have been yeah. the funnest time ever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, can't you at least just, can't you at least just keep all your stuff in intact and do yeah. the bookkeeping as well yeah. as basically to manage yourselves? Yeah, it's true. And like, also it doesn't help that bands want touring to look desirable because it helps the message, you know, like, um, so the, the outgoing message exactly. is like, this is so fun and paradise and I'm living my dream. But like in reality, touring and I still can't even fathom why. Like, it's true. You're just going from A to B and playing for 45 minutes or whatever. <laughs> why is it so time-consuming? But it, but it is. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a funny one. Did you uh, find with the Up the Guts tour, which is uh, an initiative where you and a bunch of crew, actually Jack Parsons, who I spoke to a couple of weeks ago as well, was um, part, of the, part of the first or second can't remember. Or both. I did both actually. Um, I was Jack and I were like the little helpers, and and uh, and Dingo um, were kind of like the house band. That's how I justified getting on the tour. So he he first invited Big Scary, and um, we couldn't do it. But I was just like, this is just such a good idea. Can you please keep us in mind for when you do it again? It must have been that Tom couldn't do it for some reason because then Jack invited myself just to come on and, and be, I guess, a sort of trustworthy um, person that can um, 
that loved the project and wanted it to succeed. And then we were just like the house band so that no one had to feel like the loser opener. Like we were the loser openers playing to no one every night and just playing some covers and maybe one of my songs and a pretty little song. Um, and then I did the same role the next year. And then I, I, I was a little bit more part of the, um, the pre-expedition team the next year where I was sort of helping set up the, um, workshops when we, we go into like high schools and do music workshop workshops with, with the students. So I was in charge of setting them up. You went to some pretty remote areas as well. Um, which is kind of, there's not too many um, tours that go through a lot of those parts of Australia, um, fairly like uh, remote Indigenous communities, um, very little kind of in the space, in the in the realm of um, big stage setups or, uh, uh, you know, um, high-end production values. <laughs> the places that you got to that were uh, remote and whatnot, um, how how do you think that the current sort of pandemic um, life, how do you think life is up there for mm. some of those guys? Were they all do you know if do you know if they were learning remotely anyway? That's a good question. Uh, they in Barunga they had teachers for sure. Um, no, there was a school. Sorry, I'm just like it's all coming back to me. But Barunga has a really great school um, and a great school community and the teachers are all really passionate. So I imagine that's all running as as normal in – now I can't even remember the, the name of the other place without looking at it. Um, I think it's because I was learning the Indigenous name and the English name and now I've lost both. Forgotten both. <laughs> both. <laughs> um, I think they had teachers – I think they had a school there too. Um, I doubt there's lots of remote learning, like, sorry, you know, kind of online learning that goes on. Mm. Um, I would I would imagine that in as much as possible they're trying to have teachers in town because um, I can't sugarcoat that there aren't some issues within families in some of the communities. Um, so, so oh, absolutely. they yeah. would really need that face-to-face classroom, um, to help, you know, make sure the kids are engaged and stuff like that. And I don't, that's not like, that's definitely not the case for every family, but, you know, think about how all of our families have now had to, in Melbourne, you know, who teach families that are working and now they've got to homeschool their kids at the same time. It's difficult in the, in the best of circumstances and we've got internet and we've got iPads and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, hopefully the schools are going on. And, yeah, it did make me nervous when, you know, people were saying if this disease gets into these communities, it's going to be devastating. So by all accounts that hasn't happened uh, yet. Is that your understanding as well? Mm. Yeah. Um, Lou, my partner's um, sister and her um, fiancé both work up in Catherine and work out of a lot of remote. Uh, so she works at Catherine Hospital he works in really remote communities out there, um, like, you know, 12 hour drives away from there. Um, mm. and he was, he was saying similar things that, um, once it actually gets into those communities, it's, it's re- going to just spread quite quickly just by the way that people have to live in those, um, mm. communities. But uh, as much, and as much as like, 
I should probably just chat to someone from one of those communities rather than <laughs> uh, rather than us two whiteys trying to like <laughs> speculate. But I suspect, yeah, yeah. yeah, I suspect it's um, it, it's going to really affect those communities a lot differently and a lot probably quicker and um, more insidious than than our uh, you know the luxury we have of being able to isolate. Mm, yeah, and and also just the health access to health. If anyone wants to get tested, you know, like it's hard mm. enough here in Melbourne getting tested and um, and this is not just Indigenous communities but any any towns that don't have constant um, medical care, like how how would you test yourself and know to isolate and all those sorts of things. So um, yeah. just the hard, the hard but, things of living outside of major, major areas. Yeah, let's just hope that it... Um can get nipped in the bud in in the sort of main cities and and um doesn't sort of stretch out there mm. um mm. when you came back from those tours did you find that it changed your um view of the melbourne scene and the Mel- and melbourne gigs uh there's definitely an element of um how can i put myself back in my shoes back then i guess like the bigger picture feeling a bit like privileged and um bit of perspective on your desire to be a popular indie musician is not that important compared to um just the general hardships that others go through or the or that they just don't care, you know. Like no one cares that you're like the cool tote band when you're in, <laughs> like <laughs> no one in Alice Springs is thinking about that. And you, I don't know, just a bit of perspective on like your um your where you stand in the in the world and maybe not getting too caught up in trends or feeling cool or not cool or something. And I, I thought one of the coolest things, like the first, we were very like. And I, lo- I love what Jack is doing in terms of trying to open up a touring route through Central Australia and to make that less, um, you know, less isolating or less difficult for bands to just get through there so that those towns can experience more just general entertainment. But um, that that thing of being like, oh, we've got to get there and make fans in these towns, that sort of quickly flipped to being like, oh, what can we do to bring desert bands into Melbourne because it's way it's, if we think it's ah. hard to get there it's even harder for them to get into Melbourne you know so um that was an interesting flip and there have been some thoughts on whether there could be like an opposite like from the guts sort of shows yeah. um nice that would be cool one day when we all have the the time yeah and the ability to, to move around the country <laughs> oh yeah that too um, what, uh, what have you been listening to recently? Um, uh, I'm listening to a lot of my own artists, um, because <laughs> I have typical. some releases coming up and have <laughs> to get to know them and, um, that type of thing, but who are they? Who my head on. Who are, who are so, those artists? Um, on Hotel Motel Records, Nat Vaser is four weeks away from releasing her debut album. So that's May 29th. Um, number one dads on Paida has just released an album and, um, so it's been really fun, but I listened to that album a lot and cool sounds have 
a song coming out and like finishing off their album. Oh, actually, so many. Like Romeo Moon has um, is working on songs, so I'm getting SoundCloud updates regularly. Uh, Christopher Port has some finished music. He's on Pi. Oh, he's actually on Future Classic. We sort of work with Future Classic and Pi Eater with Christopher Port. Um, he requires yeah. two. He requires <laughs> multiple to to rein him in. Yeah. Well, he's definitely like part of the Pi family. Yeah. Um, and he plays he plays sort of percussion and synths and programs in Big Scary. Um, but you know he's making kind of like club electronic music and Pyatt is not going to pretend that we have that background. So we teamed up with Future Classic who certainly have more experience in that world. Yeah. Um, so that's been really cool. But, yeah, I mean, musically, I don't know, I just listened to some random playlists. I just discovered an artist called Del Shannon um, from the, probably the 60s, I imagine. But yeah, I end up just listening to my <laughs> my own stuff a lot. What are you listening to? Uh, it's a good question. I probably should have had something in the back of my head. I've been listening to, um, I've been listening to a lot of old records that I've never had the chance to sit down and listen to. Oh, that's so great. So, often I'll just if I'm at a record shop uh, and I see something in a specials bin, or I've got an extra ten bucks to to fling it. A, a record that has a cool cover or I've never heard of the band, I'll just sometimes just grab it and tuck it into the collection. Mm. So, yeah, been able, because I've been able to just sort of take a load off, I'll sit down and just, yeah, listen to new stuff that I've never heard before that's old. Um, so that's been that's, that's awesome. been pretty fun. Yeah. Any, any standout gems that you didn't – that surprised you? I'd never heard um, – and I don't even remember buying the record, but a band called Ultravox. They're probably yep. they're probably kind of big, like I don't know. They seem <laughs> there's probably people listening that are like, oh God, Ultravox, of course. But um yeah, that's like um really early sort of synthy, um, like like kind of like late seventies Brit synthy stuff. Um and cool. I don't know. I've been listening back to heaps of old Midnight Oil too. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never given them much time, which is terrible. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, I went through that phase. I went through the phase of like, I love the hits and I love the big tracks of Midnight Oil. Mm. And then mm. since having their dig, digging out some of their old records, going from a start to finish of a record, I think I've started to appreciate um, the way they put together records. Yeah, definitely mm. dive in. Oh, cool. They've remastered them all on Spotify as well, so they're all like crisp as, as hell. Sound good. Okay. That's a good tip. Um, I actually um, well, I, I have been listening a bit to this compilation called Stay Inside. Um, Hotel Motel was vague, well, very one and a half songs or two songs contributed to this compilation that um, Jordan from Dinosaur City Records, who's a Sydney label, um, they kicked it off with, um, Osborne again and Osborne again I kind of work with on cool sounds um they have they like run by Lachlan from the Ocean Party like Lachlan Denton and Nick Kierton from cool sounds and then there's also Inertia, Spunk, Blossom Rot uh yeah there's the six so um there's 37 songs that got released one or two a day throughout April on Bandcamp and um 
there's so many bands that I'd heard of and hadn't listened to or brand new bands that almost just made a song just for this compilation. Um, That's sick. Yeah, it's really cool. Like discovered some some new artists that are sick. And it's only five bucks, so I'm going to give it a plug ah, on Bandcamp. I'll get on that too. Yeah, very good. And like I had just reminded me of a few like some spunk records that for some spunk artists, like that's a, a great label. Um, so, you know, just rediscovering that catalog a little bit and it's just cute because they kind of, some friends that all made like just cameo bands just for this. And maybe those bands will continue moving forward. Or one of the stories is like, um, they sp- they've spent isolation learning their instruments and how to like self record. So they kind of made a band together, this other group of friends. So yeah, it's cool. I reckon that's a great way to start a band as well, based on like almost just like a concept band. Yeah. That always, yeah. you always come, like a lot of bands that start as a joke, there's always like that kind of um, immediacy to the stuff that they put out straight away that's like, this could be a real thing. Like, yeah. This is sick. <laughs> yeah, because you've stripped that, um, that, that part of the ego that wants things to be perfect and stylized and thought of in a certain way because you think it's throwaway and then like by getting rid of that part it's just easier and and more fun and probably better i think stylistically too like you notice i notice some bands that jumps jump into another genre they'll be like oh we were just taking the piss out of that genre like that's that's how we thought that's like we were that's our idea of a piss take of a dance track and it's like yeah this is actually sick like (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a story about like um, who's that band that do Gooey uh, or like Alt-J even. Oh, I think it was Alt-J. They, um, there's one of their biggest hits was them, I think Left Hand Free, was them just like being yeah. shitty at their label or something. Yeah. And they weren't, they weren't the even story. intending to keep it on the record and then the label were like, you should make that your single. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just looking at that on Spotify and it's got 177 million plays. <laughs> like, it's huge. Um, I wonder if they hate that. But, yeah, you're right, especially the dance the dance one where, like, dance music's stupid. Like, this is my parody and it's a great, great fun track. Um, do you reckon you listen to more music now that you kind of uh, are inside more? Or do you reckon you're sort of trying to get away from it a little bit more and clear your head uh i don't think it's the latter i'm not sure if it's more but i i've been listening to heaps of music i've still been doing loads of work during the day so my headphones are on um and yeah no i i i haven't even i think i'm like sort of a lot of people i think have watched more tv um but i know i was all for that except my internet broke for a lot of april (laughs) um (laughs) So I was just tethering off my phone where music was still fine. But no, I, I, I've been listening to heaps. I've actually just realised I lied when I said I only listen to my own artists because um, I also listen to a lot of pop since doing a bit of DJing and I love chucking a bit of that on. New stuff? Um, yeah, like f- stuff you wouldn't expect maybe me to love or maybe you would. But I, I do these DJ sets for um, 13 to 17-year-olds at the NGV like twice a year. Ah, sick. And you've got to, yeah, you've really got to know what's going on with young people when you do those shows. Yep. So I've had to keep my finger on that pulse. And, yeah, there's heaps of good stuff. Some of it's stupid, but, 
Like it got me. I mean, she's not that um, uh, like Dua Lipa and things like that. Yep. Like I love and just high production. Dominic Fike. Yeah, just sick pop songs. Yeah, bangers. Just just bangers for days. Um, do you reckon that uh, like have you noticed that from from a label point of view at least, or from talking to bands that are on your label, are people because they can't go to gigs? Are fans like are fans buying more merch and buying more physical music and kind of um, has have you noticed any shift in that at all? Yeah, it's been incredible. I think it's been really obvious that fans have been so keen to help the artists where they can. And um, and I was unsure at first because, you know, everyone was losing their jobs and at first everyone was tentatively saying like, oh, if you can, please buy some merch. But it's <laughs> 100% they're so, so into it. Um, at both labels we've seen more sales. Um, I work... Our merch sits in a, a larger warehouse with a bunch of other stuff, and that that merch company, that seller, had their their biggest day ever on Oz. Like the they had extra Oz band T-shirt day, and there was um, Bandcamp had their biggest day ever when they waived the fees a couple of Fridays ago, and that's happening again um, for the first Friday of every month for a little bit. So yeah, the direct artist to fan sales is like John ginormous at the moment and it's so sweet like it's very cool that humans really just want to help and do the right thing like I've had um one fan write to Pieta and be like I want to buy this big scary t-shirt but should I just go direct to you like I want you know what's best for you um that's nice you know going going out of their way to to, to do those sorts of things so yeah, it's really nice what what is best what is best for for you guys in that respect um this I've actually Will ha- my answer seven weeks ago would have been doesn't matter it's all good because um, mm. it's all good for the algorithms wherever you're shopping but now yep. it truly is like Bandcamp like they are it is the most direct way to give a large chunk of money to the artist um, yep streaming I, you know I love the streaming services but when you when when now that you have to look at it in isolation and be like, oh, okay, our only revenue stream is from your recorded music um, when you take away touring. Let's just forget merch for a second. Like, it is so small. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's still great for people to listen to you on streaming services because it improves your chances of getting on a playlist, et cetera. But if you just want to boil it down to one interaction, it's that band camp sort of situation. It blows me away that people, including myself, still, uh, you know, gravitate towards merch. Like, I don't know what it is, but bands that are, that I love that are still putting out shirts, I'm um, just like, uh, no one's going to see me wear this shirt. I'm not going to be wearing this shirt at a gig. Like, there's a few people at work that will see me wearing this on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> It's, it's really funny, isn't it? And you almost feel like a personal responsibility or obligation to help the band or, but even though they're not going to know, they're not even going to know you bought it really. Like they're not going to drill down to the email address that purchased their t-shirt. But I, I, as a fan, I feel some sort of responsibility to, to do it. And, um, it's cool. I think people like showing off their fandom and I don't know why, like there's been a few papers, like, you know, back in the day, um, You'd visit someone at their home and they'd have all their vinyl 
in shelves or they'd have posters on the wall or whatever it is. And um, yeah, maybe that even like, it's funny that you say, you know, no one's going to see it. So what is it? It's like, it's not that you're waiting for someone to recognize you. I guess it's, it's the connection. I guess in some ways, like looking at myself like a fan and, and kind of back at the frame, you just put up about um, wanting to connect with it. I guess it is a connection thing. I want to, mm. I want to show support for that band and I want to be like, you know, seen to be a part of that, um, what they're doing and, and associate it with it. So maybe, yeah, maybe it is like because I, I'm still craving being connected to something. Um, yeah. And and maybe more so than ever. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's it's very sweet to see. Yeah, it is. It's reassuring. What do you think about um bands that are doing the online live um kind of uh the live gig or the live track or um or live streaming, like live streaming type gigs. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's awesome that it's forced a bunch of us to use those new parts of the technology that we hadn't used before. Um, I think it also gets to a point um, where, like, I've, I, 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 these aren't my own words. It's really smart people who are, have had these warnings where, like, if if bands too easily give away their things for free their performances and stuff, um, it just sort of um, reaffirms that negative undervaluing music situation, mm. yep. um, which is probably a bit dangerous. But ultimately, like, I think it's like a live streamed gig is never, ever going to replace what a real gig is. People that are going to go to gigs aren't suddenly going to be like, oh, sweet, now I never have to leave the house. This is just as good. Like that, what they like from a live show is there. There are also people that don't like going to live shows, so it's a nice way to get them involved. Um, Do you think so it'll ultimately bring, I'm, I'm okay with it. You and I are both pretty extra. Do you reckon it would bring people that are a <laughs> bit more intra um, uh, to maybe go to gigs when all this is done and dusted? That would be great. Um I haven't considered it. It's, I just, yeah, I it just, you just made me think, to, wonder whether or, to, whether people actually are kind of like, oh, you know what? Like there is something, I, I do get an f- extra feeling from the liveness. Like there is, yeah. there is more of an immediacy to this. Yeah, as opposed to what they just listened to on um, on the CD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as Jack Parsons would on say. The CD. The CD. Yeah. <laughs> he always confuses people because... He'll say um, when he's recording, when Pretty Littles are recording, he'll say to people, oh, yeah, and we're just, um, you know, we're going to put out a CD. And people think that means he's going to go and press a CD when actually what he's trying to say is he's putting out an album. Yeah. And um, I, I, I love it because I... <laughs> it, it, it throws that whole idea of we're making a record as well. Like nowadays people, like I still say that and I'm half the time only talking about releasing something digitally. Yeah. Not making a vinyl record. Yeah. Well, that was such a great record and I never listened to it on vinyl. I just listened to a Spotify album. Like, Yeah, yeah. But it's also confusing because at the Grammys, you know, one of the, the awards is the record of the year and they don't mean the album of the year. They mean the song recording of the year. It's, oh. it's the one song. It's the best recorded song of the year. Oh, wow. The record. record. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> 
Um, so and I that's bizarre. and I don't know if that means it's the single of the year or if it's a different category. Like it's like just a good studio song. I, I'm not too sure. Maybe we we need an extra kind of a few awards uh, award ceremony like aria spots for like um, best live stream. Yeah. Now. No, because that'd really push that'd push the quality up. I reckon. So let me just um. Or down. Let me just uh, jump in with the copyright uh, and and uh, licensing there. So that would probably, unless you were releasing the live stream audio, that would fall outside of ARIA because that's the recording industry awards rather than the performance awards. Ah. So I'm just I'm just getting nerdy here, but I'm just trying to um, you know. Uh, Maybe that's just really boring for anyone and no one wanted to learn that. But <laughs> No, that's good. I don't care. Stuff them. This is like, I want to know that sort of stuff. That's the sort of stuff that I always reach a point of like. I, I, um, I had an interview with um, Berg from Kingswood yeah. the other day yeah. and I was like talking to him about new songs on their record and I was like in an email to him, oh, hey, um, can I play some of your tracks, like just snippets uh, like I did with Jax on the Pretty Littles one? Um, just to sort of like give context to what we're talking about. He's like, yep, no problem. I'll just shoot an email through to my people who who will shoot an email through to their people. And it just became this thread of like, um, cool, where's the podcast going? Yeah. Uh, what country? Uh, and it just became like, it just became this too hard basket. Totally. That's why there aren't, that, there aren't as many song podcasts as you'd expect. It's a licensing thing. So podcasts like Song Exploder and um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that one. And um, I love it. Yeah, Dissect yeah. is another good one. But um, so I guess they've got an intimate relationship with uh, people who own the publishing rights of those songs. How does that work? Yeah, they have to clear with both the publishing and the recording side of the, the copyright. So each each recorded song has two copyrights kind of that come into play when you want to um, publicly perform the songs. Um, and I always wondered whether, no, I think they'd have to license it because there's a thing where like if it's under 15 seconds, you don't have to license it. And that's why things like TikTok have gotten away with um, with ah. it because they, I don't know. I think that's getting sorted now anyway with the, that licensing, but um so, yeah, there's, like, the recorded version of a song and then there's, like, the idea of the song itself, like the composition. And yeah. so people have to so, license both. So some people probably wouldn't realise that when they're doing a cover of a track online and putting it on YouTube, for example, and mm. correct me if I'm wrong because I don't know shit about anything, but if I covered... Um, so Joe Syme wrote, writes a song and I love it and I'm going to cover it and I'm going to record it and put it on YouTube. Um, my version is legally allowed to go on YouTube but you would get a small, very like um, minute royalty for that. Yeah, I think it's hard with – I don't know as much about the publishing side as I do the recorded master side. Um, like how would – how would – 
I mean, maybe you've asked my permission and we've green-lighted it all. Um, but I like that I'm doing this as a hypothetical where I could just be <laughs> yeah. real. Like, this is my whole, this is my real long way of being like, the whole podcast has just been me being like, can I cover one of your songs? <laughs> and there's no podcast. It's just. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not even recording. <laughs> um, Waste of your time. <laughs> the answer's no. No, uh, the answer's yes. <laughs> but I think, I don't know how, like say you hadn't asked permission to whoever it was, um, and yes, there are mechanisms in place that YouTube would still send the royalties to the right person, but I don't know how they pick it up on publishing because you could you could make it sound so different. It would be hard for them to pick up what the song is, whereas at least recorded, there's, um, you know, there's bots all over the internet that if I put um, a Metallica song on my YouTube, the actual song, the, the bot, the smart technology knows that and they'll either make me take it down or they'll go, yeah, that's fine, but any money, any monetization goes to the rights holder of that song. Um, yep. and, and it's easier because, like, you know, when you Shazam things, it's obviously has scanned the original song. But for, for publishing, I don't know how they pick it up, but maybe there's similar technology um, as a long-winded response. But, but, like, in Bandcamp, it often happens that people will release covers or even on, you know, your streaming platforms like Spotify, um, technically you're supposed to get a mechanical license um, for that because a mechanical, oh God, a mechanical license is like for when the song is um, reproduced or in modern terms streamed or downloaded. Um, And so there's a kind of... Because because um, bodies such as APRA will automatically send the money to the songwriter already, it's easier to just release it, but you still need to get a mechanical licence um, for the reproduction of the yourself. song. Yeah. I mean, no one does, and I think you could fly under the radar pretty easily, but what if the song took off, you know, and then suddenly you owe someone a bunch of money? Yeah, I've... We've done it before and I've done it before in different bands um, and most of the time the bands are pretty small and I don't think they would really, yeah, kind of be like that litigious on it but who knows. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the attention to detail in answering those questions. I know they were quite dry but I personally kind of was keen to <laughs> get a vibe on them. Um, I'll shift gears right into like just like e-news style questioning rather than Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So um, there's three Joe Symes that I've seen on the internet pop up when I was doing a bit of research into your um, happenings of the last few years. Um, I'm going to read a little bit about each of them and you get to pick which Joe Syme you would be if you weren't yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best. We should have just started okay. with this. So the first Joe Symes uh, lives in Melbourne and she um, works um, in an admin as a, in a brain, spine, and pain center. The second. Did you say? Can I just quickly ask? Is it Symes with an S on the end? Syme. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's no. it's a hundred percent. Everything is completely accurate. All right. The other one. This is it's amazing. Number two, Joe Syme, um, and these are Joe. Are you a Joanne or Joanna? I'm a Joanna. 
These are all Joanna, except Melbourne was Joanne. So you'd wow. have to change your name. You'd have to change your name for this one. Okay. So okay. Joanna, the second one, she lives in Chicago, and um, she's a radiolic te- a radiolic technologist. Oh, they're both smart. Yeah. Third one, um, and I can't tell you what any of them look like. I don't have a picture, so you, that's irrelevant here. Um, yeah. Third one's in New Zealand, uh, Taranaki, and she is a uh, industri- industry placement and employment coordinator. Oh. If you had to pick one, where would you where would you be? Is Taranaki? Um, a beautiful area. Does I mean, it, it's it's in New Zealand. I reckon I'm going to put money on it being exquisite. So I've got a few choices here. I'm thinking about um, the job itself, the the country, yep. um, and also just the good culture and food available in each area. All um, very good um, prerequisites. Yeah. I do enjoy a deep dish pizza in Chicago, but other than that, um, I can't say I'd like to be in the US right now or, or for the foreseeable future. So I'm going to go with Joanna Syme of Taranaki. Good work. I've just had a look at Taranaki and it's a beautiful place as oh, well. Yes. And uh, it seems like their um, COVID levels are extremely low too. Um, well, I just want to be in the country where Jacinda is in charge as well. Yeah, I think that one would definitely tip you over the edge. You're pretty close to Lake Taupo as well. You're kind of awesome. in near, yeah, New Plymouth and North Island. Thanks um, for that. No worries. Yeah, that's a sweet one. And uh, shout outs to all the other Joe Simon. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe there's another Joe Simon in Melbourne. I'm a bit upset. <laughs> she could be a listener as well. I'm not sure. Um, just oh. judging, judging on her MO, she, I reckon she'd be, she'd be tuning in. Um, yeah. when all this, uh, wraps up, what is the first pub or show you are going to go to? Ooh, that's so hard. These are absolute uh, gear shifters. I was just like, right, I'll ask some, some real curveballs. I have to be honest and say my two regulars most regulars are the Tote and the Gasso. Uh, it's probably just going to be whichever friend books a show the quickest at the closest location to my house, Ooh. which is the Carlton North area. Could it be Tramway? Ooh, could it be Merry Creek Tavern? We shall see. I like that. You're just throwing, throwing out the challenge. Um, it's the, least, the path of least resistance is... Probably the winner. Um, yeah, I like that. What yeah, do you have, miss? what about what, you? Well, I reckon the tote, and I probably, I'd probably just go there even if there wasn't a show on. Um, I wouldn't mind just going and sitting in the front bar there for a little while. That'd be nice. Yeah, and they'd have the fire going by the pool table. Uh, yeah, that'd Sorry, be Sorry, I've been listening to a lot of Kath and Kim, so I said pool. Pool. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have also pre-booked a pint at the Curtain. Um, it was funny because I first saw that email from the Curtain being like, you know, help us out, pre-book a pint. And I was like, oh, Steve's on that, can't be bothered. And then um, then I got this like on another day, I got an email 
being like the Lexington in London is in trouble. Can you please donate? And I was like, oh, yeah, I better donate. And then I was like, what the hell? Like what was it about my mood that I was happy to pay in pounds to some bar I've been to once in London, yet I wasn't going to spend $10 on the curtain? (laughs) And so then I went back and instead of supporting the Lexington, I bought some pints that are waiting for me when the curtain reopens. Um, that kind of, that sort of made me think then a little bit about um, a lot of people saying international acts won't be um, touring for a long time mm. and we won't be touring outside of the country for a long time. Mm. And so any kind of, um, this is a tenuous link to what you were talking about, but any kind of, any kind of allegiance to or sort of, um, you know, rapture by something being foreign or, um, uh, you know, from a memory of traveling there. So you've got kind of some kind of allegiance to it from that. Do you think that um, when all these gigs come back and people can't go and see international bands, they will kind of focus their energy more on Australian music? Um, yeah, potentially. It'll be like the 80s. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty good at supporting Australian artists in general. Um, you know, you, you look at things like the, the Triple J countdown and, you know, isn't 50% of it or more Australian anyway. Um, yeah, I feel like it has, we have got a lot better at it in the last sort of 10 years. Yeah. I think like there was, I mentioned the eighties cause it's like back then flights were too ex- inhi- prohibitively expensive both ways. So it was probably more of a local scene. And then, then you go through this phase of like, you're not really proud of your local talent. You you only kind of are in awe of international artists. But because now that our artists are doing so well internationally, we're probably a bit more um, take it at face value that if someone's big here, that's enough for us. We're, we're proud of them. So, um, like, yeah, as you said, like lately we have gotten gotten better at just being about our big artists and us, you know, Melbourne especially is great at supporting small artists too. But yeah, and hopefully, I think yeah, fos- oh. and fostering them as well. I think we're, we're I think we're we're a good city for um, as as someone that is doing it themselves. You, you um, kind of creating environments or like collectives that are fostering that um, pride um, is super beneficial, particularly yeah. particularly when bands can't. Um, get out and and tour, having that kind of community of other bands around them and having that community of um, support is just probably you know so vital. Yeah, where it's a Melbourne is incredible. Like I wonder how many cities are there any cities in the world that have more indie labels per you know per person in the city and like just our community radio stations um, and venues and everything is like super high numbers. And in some senses it's like we're, we're a victim of our own um, uh, in sort of obsession with it, the music community in that in that there's it's flooded and there's not a huge amount of money to be made as a living. Mm. But if you're, if you're satisfied with that not being your living but like a really fulfilling hobby, it is – a really incredible community to be a part of. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like you're um, distanced from it at the moment or do you feel like, um, you know, because you've been working with all these acts that you're still kind of very much, you know, in it 
And no, I, yeah, I feel very in it. And, like, it's so cute listening to, for example, you triple R hosts who are like, I'm just um, <laughs> recording this show from under my staircase or from under my doona right now. And I don't know, that makes you feel really connected to what they're doing in um, – and yeah, I think because I because I'm currently working on a campaign, and they've been so supportive of um, the release, you know. So I feel super connected to the the music community, and I live in a share house with other musicians, and um, I've been jumping on live streams that um, every, the banter is <laughs> almost the more the most fun part of the live stream. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that sounds like a gig for me, anyway. <laughs> That's the, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the banter from the artist though. The banter oh, from the chat, on the yeah. chat line. <laughs> People writing in. Yeah. Um, it's very funny watching some acts play, and then some of their friends obviously getting in there and writing stuff to deliberately, yeah. um, <laughs> to deliberately troll. That's that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> I watched a stream of um, Go Get Mum playing on Isolate and all of yeah. them, all their mates were commenting on how lovely the shelf was behind the, <laughs> the band and a whole bunch of people were um, commenting back just being like, guys, just watch the band, please. Stop talking about the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and these were all just mates of the band and they were like, but honestly, like, this shelf is just so well set up and, like, <laughs> it was very good, very meta. Yeah. There was a gig, t- gig taking place and people were just having their own conversation at the back. I'm totally guilty of that. That I, I've been trolling probably on every stream. <laughs> Friendly trolling. Yeah, yeah, it's good. In trolls, a lot of it's in jokes as well, which yeah, is good. Yeah. It flies over most people's heads. <laughs> well, um, I'll hopefully see you trolling some um, unsuspecting artists soon on, uh, on a live stream. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I'll hopefully catch you at the tote when all this um, is done. Yes. I can't wait. That'll be awesome. Thanks for having a yarn. Thanks. Thanks, man. And, um, well, I want to catch up with you, though, because I didn't get to ask much about you. Oh, it's it's a pretty one-way deal. Like, I, I, yeah. I, shut, I shut you down pretty quick. So, but, um, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll spill the beans whenever you want. Okay, well, maybe we'll let this end naturally and then I'll, um, I'll uh, start a separate conversation. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Done. I'll hit stop. <laughs> <laughs>